But I think there's been this fear that exercise is somehow going to be dangerous. Uh, and it's quite the contrary. After that first day, when you, they say you have cancer, there's a new person born. You know, there's this thing called new normal. I, th I think they don't really maybe understand how much it's going to help them. Each patient and each survivor is going to be experiencing different side effects, different experiences. The positive is that it's, it's never too late. Welcome to the REACH podcast, where you'll hear from researchers, doctors and patients themselves on how exercise, nutrition and lifestyle behaviors can reduce cancer risk and improve survivorship. I'm your host, Kieran Fairman. Hey, welcome back to episode 35 of the Reach Podcast. Today is a really cool episode because I finally got to chat to uh, Prue Cormy, who is an exercise physiologist and a researcher over in Melbourne, Australia. And today's chat, we really focus on what Prue is starting to do in terms of translation of research. And so a lot of people who know about the Reach Podcast know one of my biggest goals is to disseminate the information that we have and get the word out to health professionals to to medical physicians and and the general public about the power of exercise both during and after treatment and Prue is really leading the way in terms of that she's got this program called Xmed Cancer which has taken a ton of work to develop a lot of investment of time and money on her part and and the part of our sponsors of the program but the goal is to provide free uh, safe and effective exercise programs for cancer patients and survivors and so Prue's starting off in El Melbourne she's got five sites throughout Melbourne but the goal is to kind of continually develop the program grow the program to where they become the gold standard and what's really cool about the X-Men cancer program is that they also provide professional development for health professionals so the goal being that if you've been certified or if you've taken XMED Cancer, their course, everyone has the same level of education and competency as a trainer. So you can be sure that if you get someone in your area who has had this sort of training, they're of a very high standard because XMED is kind of like the, the best practice exercise medicine. And what they're trying to do is take the latest and greatest research and continually improve the the standard of professionals and provide continuous education for them to make sure they're at a level that the the standards of xmed cancer require so today again it's a really cool chat where we talk about how pro came up with xmed cancer we talk a little bit about some of our prior research in terms of how exercise can maybe improve survival in, in cancer survivors but the main thing we focus on is xmed cancer what it is and how it really is leading the 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 way in our field in terms of translation and really setting the setting the standard for what we aim to do. So I really have to thank uh, Prue for stopping by and chatting. And if you're interested in XMed, if you either Google XMed Cancer or if you go to their web, website, www.xmedcancer.org.au, uh, you can find a ton of information on top of what you hear in the show today. And then you can find Prue on Twitter at Prue Cormie, P-R-U-E, Cormie, C-O-R-M-I-E, um, and follow all of our updates there. So other than that, just sit back and enjoy the show. All right, so listen, I know you are swamped at the minute, especially with, with the X-Men cancer stuff, but Prue, I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show. I mean, I've admired your work for a long time and really excited to talk about some of the stuff we're going to chat about today. Uh, but before we do that, 
just give us a little background. Obviously, you know, the culmination of your work is this X-Men cancer. Give us a little bit of background into your your history, how you got yes, into the field I've and kind of where really you're really always been fascinated about how exercise can really change our lives, can change what happens inside our bodies and how we can use it to really improve health and, and our functional capacity. And for me, I've... Um, I suppose my passion really comes out of understanding exactly what happens inside our bodies when we exercise and and to try and use exercise in the same way that doctors use medicine. So, you know, figure out exactly what kind of exercise um, that we need to use and be able to prescribe it in a way that the doctors prescribe their medicines. So a specific type of exercise at precise intensities and volumes based on a physiological change that happens within our body and, and the actual health outcome that we want. So this is what's really driven me to, to get into research and to be um, really trying to figure out exactly how exercise helps people with cancer you get back to living a, a full, healthy life. Yeah, so you've done obviously a, a ton of work in this area. Uh, some of your recent work is, is as I said, is, is fascinating to me and I think some really important areas of research the first of which we'll talk about is the idea of how exercise can impact cancer-related mortality and even kind of uh, all sorts of mortality. And you had a really, really good, inter interesting paper back in April that you published in this area. Um, so let's dive into that a little bit and kind of yourself and Katie Schmidt, another a powerhouse in the field. What you found with that? Yeah, absolutely. So we basically what we did is we did a, a really robust and comprehensive review of, of all the scientific research available out there today that really addressed this question is, you know, what's the link between exercise and cancer survival? And we synthesized the, the data that came out of uh, about 40 studies, which are looking at investigating how much exercise people do after they've been diagnosed with cancer. And that was in around 70,000 cancer patients. And basically what this, this data is um, observational data. So they, they look at all these papers, look at um, large groups of patients and they evaluate how much exercise they're doing. And then they track over time and see, you know, compared to how many, you know, depending on how much exercise do, how long they live, how long it is before the cancer comes back. Um, and how long they they you know um, able to stay healthy for, and basically what we saw with this research was a consistent trend for the people who were more physically active, who were exercising at greater levels, they had a reduced relative risk of dying from their cancer, of their cancer coming back, and from dying from any other cause. That's huge. And, you know, people, listeners of the podcast will understand when we, you know, we've had uh, different kind of mechanistic researchers involved in this and, and kind of given us an insight into, as you said, those physiological adaptations that occur with exercise um, kind of allude to why this might be the case. But it just kind of, for me, it was one of the biggest pieces of evidence, you know, granted, we talk about it being observational nature, and we can't talk about cause and, cause and effect, but it, it's such a powerful synthesis, as you said, of the literature that suggests that here, you know, what more evidence do we need? The more active you are, the lower the incidence of cancer-related mortality is. And we talk about how powerful exercise can be to reduce recurrence and reduce the severity of that recurrence. I think that's a really powerful note to get across from this paper. 
Yeah, and I think the, the thing, you know, there are limitations with this research because we can't we can't provide cause and effect. So we don't know whether it's the exercise that's actually contributing to the survival benefit, and that's just the nature of the research. But in saying this, these are really robustly designed research evaluations. They're published in some of the best journals in our field, and they really take, they go through a lot of scientific processes to try and um, control for all the factors that could potentially influence this result. So there, there's a lot, and the, the thing with this is it's not only that we're seeing this in epidemiological evidence, so these large observations of thousands and thousands of patients, we're also seeing it in what we call the preclinical data. So the, the mouse models, there's actually investigations where you have mice that have been injected with cancer tumours, some exercise, some don't exercise, and we see very similar results. The ones that exercise, the tumours don't grow as much, they're not as spread throughout their body. Uh, and this gives us a, an indication that there's something physiologically going on. So it's not just thinking that the people who are surviving longer uh, and you know are fitter because they have a better prognosis of their cancer. They're, they're, there's something else going on within our bodies that that means that exercise influences cancer and the way cancer spreads throughout the body you make a good point there because especially now with with the influence of social media and the internet and all that stuff it's very easy for armchair scientists to turn around and say well it was observational Mm. and that criticism uh well in some cases it's warranted in other cases it comes from a lack of understanding of the scientific process. And if you were to try and fund a 20-year study where you're trying to do a randomized control trial in this many pages, I mean, the, the, the funding, the resources, the time, and the, the rigor it would take to pull something like that off is just probably out of our reach. So while this isn't an RCT, it really is the, the best evidence we have at the minute. Yeah, and there's some of these trials going on now internationally. So there's a trial looking at... Um, exactly this question, does exercise influence cancer progression and cancer survival, specifically in colorectal patients? So that's the challenge trial. It's running all over the world. It's been ongoing for a number of years now. And that's really going to provide gold standard level of evidence about how exercise influences cancer mortality and cancer recurrence. Um, There's also a trial that's been recently started up looking at um, survival benefit in men with metastatic prostate cancer and and there'll be some experiment well, there has been some experimental follow-ups of uh, randomized control trials in women with breast cancer and, and again we're seeing these trends that are quite consistent so I, you know I think these data really also build on a lot of research that's been done in people without cancer showing that the more you exercise the lower relative risk you have dying from any cause. So, you know, it's I think it's a, it's a body of literature now that is is really quite extensive and and that we need to stop and take notice of. I will say that the the one of the limitations is that we're talking about across all cancers and really the data that we have comes primarily from analysis that involves women with breast cancer, people with colorectal cancer or bowel cancer. And then uh, in a smaller scale, people with um, prostate cancer. So there's a whole lot of cancers out there that we don't know whether exercise influences cancer progression. So there, there are limitations to this, this research. Uh, and we, we just need to make sure that we're, we're communicating that in our messages as well. 
Yeah, that's a really good point to come across because, I mean, you even see that in the RCTs as well. It's a growing field and we're starting to explore more rare forms of cancer, but as you said, the majority is coming from bre- these common cancers that it's easier to get patients. They're, they are more common, so there's a bigger patient pool to draw from and, and things like that. Yeah. The the interesting thing about your paper is, is uh, you know, you and I get very specific with a prescription and we're interested in the physiological change with a certain dose or intensity of exercise. But our, our global recommendations tend to differ in that whatever activity you enjoy, whatever is going to get you the most active and keep you active is ultimately going to be the best case scenario. You know, we talk about improving specific outcomes, but on a global scale, more is generally better. Yes, that's absolutely true. And that's what we're seeing without the lit- throughout the literature. But we're starting to unpack these, these data even further now. And what we see when we start to look not just about how much exercise people do, but what's the quality of that exercise or how hard do they exercise, we're seeing that there's a dose-response relationship. So that the better quality exercise you do, the more pronounced benefit that you get. Um, and we're talking about survival benefit. So this really comes down to intensity. So it's not just about, for example, if you compare, and this is just a very um, simplified example, if you take two people who have breast cancer, one woman, they both walk 30 minutes a day on five days a week in line with the, the recommendations. One walks quite slowly. She dawdles. She walks with a chihuahua, if you like. The other one walks very quickly, like she's running late for an appointment, like she's being dragged along by her German shepherd. And we, what we see from the, what the research shows us is that that lady that works walks at a faster pace actually has a greater risk reduction in the potential of dying from her breast cancer and her breast cancer coming back. So it's not just about doing any exercise, it's about doing high quality exercise and that really maximizes the therapeutic effect someone can get from from their exercise medicine that's a great point and and as you said the exercise medicine that's that's the point we're trying to make in that as we're trying to mimic just as you would with exercise or medicine you look at different dosing strategies that that different intensity can make that much of a difference which is incredible on the other hand and this comes into the kind of the rest of the conversation we talk about we me in particular because i get excited about a lot of things and I, I throw this recommendation out there everyone should exercise and it's great for everyone and we all do it but we're actually also starting to see this idea of responders versus non-responders and we do see this in in general populations in general that yeah. we need different doses of exercise to elicit a similar response but let's dive into a little bit about uh, what you've kind of found so far in responders versus non-responders first explaining what that means and then kind yeah. of go into a little bit of your work yeah, absolutely. So there's, we know that anybody, people without cancer, that you know, anybody that exercises, some people respond to exercise and and others don't. And there's a whole range of reasons that influence that. Um, and it could just be our genetics, our physiology, what kind of exercise we're doing, how much we're we're resting in between, what we're eating, those types of things. Uh, cancer then introduces a whole range of other factors that could potentially influence whether somebody responds to exercise, meaning that they that they, they generate a benefit from this exercise, or they don't respond, meaning they, they exercise and they don't get any better or some of their symptoms don't change. Um, or, or even worse, an adverse responder. So somebody who, who actually gets worse in any of those symptoms 
Um, and and this, is, this happens with any exercise. So when you, when you have cancer, you, there's more factors that could potentially influence whether you respond or not respond. So, you know, what kind of treatments you're having, what kind of symptoms you experience, um, you know, how much exercise you're able to do. Do you have any functional uh, limitations that, you know, don't allow you to exercise? So it's really been quite unclear throughout the, the research literature and something that we haven't really delved into uh, from a research perspective of trying to investigate who responds to exercise prescriptions and who doesn't and really importantly why. And the reason that we want to try and look at this is so that we can really get into precision exercise medicine, if you like. So we really want to be able to understand what type of exercise to deliver to a specific type of person, uh, depending on where they are in their treatment continuum and what kind of side effects they're experiencing and so on. So we really want to understand what is happening inside our body that allows for the maximum therapeutic effect or the maximum benefit from exercise. And this will allow us to then make sure the prescription is specific to each person to maximize the benefit. So there's really not much research done in this. We, we've recently presented some, some work from an investigation involving 600 people with cancer and over 40 different types of cancers. Um, the 70% the of them were finished their treatment, so 30 were during treatment. And we really wanted to investigate this. Do people respond differently to exercise? So we looked over a, a three-month exercise intervention involving moderate intensity resistance and aerobic exercise, so in line with the international guidelines. And we found that there was considerable variability in the amount of response to the exercise. So some people got fitter, some people improved their fatigue, some people improved their distress and quality of life, and others didn't. And there were statistical differences between uh, what we call the responders and non-responders. I think really interestingly, we started to, to unpack this a little bit and, and try and figure out what drives it. And we couldn't really see at this stage, and this was only a very, very early um, investigation, we couldn't see that it was related to what kind of cancer somebody had, whether or not they're on treatment or not on treatment, how long it was since they were diagnosed. But what we did find was that the people who had the worst symptoms, so they were the most fatigued, the most distressed, had the worst physical function, they responded the most to the exercise. So this kind of gives us the indication that the people who are probably least likely to be referred to an exercise program are the ones that need it the most because they've got the greatest potential for improvement. I think the other thing that this means is, is that the guys that aren't responding, it doesn't mean that they can't respond to exercise. It means that we need to be much more sophisticated with our exercise prescription so that we can really increase that exercise dosage in an appropriate way to allow for them to then adapt and respond in the same way the, the people who are responding to the exercise. It's a good point as because in our research studies, we'll, we'll prescribe this, this exercise protocol. And as, as you said, it kind of is intuitive. The, the most fit people, if you prescribe a generic dose, may not be getting sufficient stimulus for adaptation. But the, the main point, and, and this is huge because, you know, this flew around Twitter when you first put it out, 
the the people who are deconditioned and are experiencing a lot of fatigue and they are in those those points where even they don't feel like exercising mm. and then oncologists who aren't familiar with our area would also be apprehensive and saying well patient x is feeling weak and she is feeling nauseous and, and all these symptoms going on that maybe exercise is out of realm and it it's really counterintuitive but as you said now we have we have this little piece of evidence that shines a light on this and says those who are in that in that position where you are in the worst physical condition psychological kind of mindset there's so much room for growth there and that highlights the need to put this in in during treatment absolutely and i and i think the other thing is that it's it shows a lot of people that exercise is within reach and that you can even if you are experiencing really debilitating fatigue or a lot of distress and and hard things that you know things that have changed in your body that prevent you from being able to exercise we can actually prescribe exercise and deliver exercise in a way that allows you to overcome those big barriers and benefit from exercise. So I think it's a really, um, a really important message to say that exercise doesn't need to be, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger in the gym or, you know, running marathons. It, it, it's very specific to where you are right now and it's within your reach to do something that can help benefit the, the symptoms that you're experiencing. I want to I want to reiterate that because that's the, the, a lot of the people I've talked to. It's a recurrent theme, in in we get these reports back that when we talk about exercise, people seem to think that it is this intense going in and, and slinging weights around and really pushing yourself. And there are a small subset of people that might be appropriate for, but by and large, we're getting your we're getting a lot of assessments of your baseline condition and how you're feeling, how your physical fitness is, and then we're prescribing our exercise based on that. So mm. some people may be doing body weight stuff or resistance band stuff or even rehab type work, whereas you know we can kind of progress it as we see fit. So it, it's a good point, and I'm glad you brought it up. And that you know, kind of, we have the ability and we have the knowledge and skills to to cater to all sorts of physical ability. That means it's not just your your general fitness. It can be 60, 70, 80-year-old cancer patient who's going through surgery. We can we can accommodate that. Absolutely. And, you know, you start with, with where you start. That's that's doesn't matter where it is and how little exercise you've done. If you've never exercised at all before in your life, that's no problem. You know, the way that we deliver exercise is it's relative to you. It's specific to exactly what's happening with your treatment with what how your health status is what your function is and then because intensity is relative to each person we just continually progress that intensity that's that's specific to you and, and some days you might be able to do more and other days you might you know mightn't be able to do as much as you could but as long as we're continually progressing and we're delivering exercise in the right way for you and the things that you're experiencing then then absolutely we can generate these significant benefits therapeutic effects that will will influence your health in a very positive way that leads into uh one of the most exciting parts of our talk and it's funny you know at acsm about four years ago we had the discussion we had a, a special interest group and and there was a feeling of frustration in the room uh for our listeners a special interest group is a variety of different topics uh acsm and different national go- governing bodies have we have one related to cancer in particular, where all these researchers and, and practitioners come together, put our brains together and kind of see where we need to move forward. 
and I, I distinctly remember this feeling of frustration of us going you know we know the evidence is out there and, and we just need to get this into practice and it's it's almost like we're we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves you know it's it's going to come it's not a ca- case of if it's a case of when and I've seen an explosion with what you've got going on with the likes of Sarah Weller up in Canada who's doing her own stuff a load of I mean Sammy Mansfield out in Kansas City just people all over the country and all over the world who are developing their own practitioner or, or their own uh, professional uh, ability or sites that that cater to this yours in particular as i said to you is so impressive the x-med cancer and I'm, i can't imagine the the work that went into this to get it off the ground and get it up and running so um i'm really excited about what's going to go on with this but i'm not going to steal your thunder let's dig a little, little bit into x-med cancer what it is and and what you hope to see yeah sure so I mean, if you think about the level of evidence that's now available, you know, it basically mandates that exercise should be prescribed as a standard component of cancer care. Based on what we know from the science, exercise is one of the best medicines that people with cancer can take in addition to their standard cancer treatments. And that's because people who take their exercise medicine regularly, we know from this research literature that they have experience fewer or less severe treatment-related side effects. And we know that they have a low relative risk of dying from their cancer, their cancer coming back and dying from any cause. So it really gets this point at where at now if, you know, if, and when I talk to clinicians, I, I say to them, you know, if we could encapsulate the effects of exercise into a pill, it would be prescribed to every person with cancer worldwide. Um, so this is what ex-med cancer is trying to do. It, it's trying to allow for exercise to be prescribed as part of routine cancer care. And it's really, I suppose, that the aim of, of ExMed Cancer is to develop, implement and evaluate a sustainable and scalable model of care that allows for exercise to be a standard component of cancer care. And this is really important in the sense that we don't want just a program that can be delivered in one site. We want it delivered all over Australia, um, or, you know, and potentially all over the world. Um, and the aim of this really is to, to realise the benefits that we're seeing from the research literature. So to make meaningful improvements in the lives of people through effective exercise medicine and an exercise medicine that people can access that's easy for them to access and it's feasible for them to do. So it's really everything we know from the research literature and our clinical practice combining into uh, a best practice model of care for exercise medicine in, in cancer. So you've got, I mean, uh, just a, talk about a team of, of, of people in here. You've just got a whole, a whole team behind you getting this set up. How, how did it get set up? What was the kind of... Yeah driving force behind that yeah it's really important to me to if we're going to make something that is scalable and sustainable to have really strong and broad stakeholder engagement so um, I, I'm, I'm based in Melbourne in Australia and, and I partnered with um, three of the major hospitals and cancer centers here in Melbourne um, Peter McCallum Cancer Center Austin Health which is got the Olivia Newton-John Cancer wellness center and also western health so partnered with these key hospitals and then also partnered with um, some policy people so we have uh, what's called integrated cancer services that sit in between the department of health and and these hospitals 
Um, we also have what's called primary health networks. So this allows us to to kind of talk to general practitioners. So we're not just talking to the, the cancer specialists, we're also talking to the general practitioners so that it can be shared care model. Um, and then engaging in uh, big cancer organisations and, and involving consumers in the development. So Cancer Council Victoria, Prostate Cancer Foundation Australia, Breast Cancer Network Australia. Um, basically, I, I, I just wanted to get these, these group of people together in the room to really talk about how we can best develop a model of care that we're, we're taking into account everybody's needs so that we can develop something that is sustainable and, and long-term. And for us, we've, we were very uh, fortunate to be able to get supported by the Department of Health here in Australia. So we got funding to, to really initiate this project and, and to do um, some evaluation on the, on the first cohort of patients coming through. So it was really just the desire to make sure that we have strong stakeholder engagement, strong partnerships between all the key players that that need to have exercise that we need to have in the conversation, so that exercise can be prescribed as a standard component of cancer care. I mean, as you're talking there, just the 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 names and the places and and the organisations you're partnering with, it's just a powerhouse. So I think mm. you are well poised for success. Was the uh, was partnering with the hospitals, was that a difficult thing to do? Were they on board from the offset? Did you see any challenges? Because that's a lot of, you know, the, the premise of, of this podcast, a lot of our listeners are practitioners who are trying to get into hospitals and yeah. and convince oncologists and physicians. Was, was there any challenges there that you didn't expect or maybe that you did and you had to get through? Yeah, well, we, I've been working at this a long time. And I think one of the, the key things that I did leading up to this was, establish a, an exercise group within our peak professional body for cancer specialists in Australia. It's called Clinical Oncology Society of Australia. And what we did with this group is the, the first thing that we uh, worked on was the development of a position statement. So it was a Clinical Oncology Society of Australia position statement on exercise and cancer care. So it was a very long and drawn out process and engaging a lot of uh, clinicians, so specialists, medical oncologists, radiation oncologists, surgeons, uh, nurses, and then a whole range of um, allied health and, and supportive care services through through exercise, nutrition, psychology, and so on. Um, so really having that broad engagement so that we could develop a statement from the, the organization. And really the statement from the organization was that exercise needs to be incorporated as a standard component of cancer care and it should be viewed as an adjunct therapy for cancer patients, specifically for the management of side effects. The organisation, the position statement, we're also calling for all cancer patients to be prescribed exercise as a standard component of cancer care and that best practice care involves referral to an exercise specialist who has expertise in, in dealing with people with cancer. So that really set the stage, I think, for for being able to um, get the hospitals and all these partners on board, and and that was really a combination of a, of a lot of work that that led into the evidence behind that position statement, and then communicating uh, what you know the value of that that research and how that research can potentially influence uh, patient outcomes. So having having the engagement and uh, of of this broad group of professionals and having a position statement that's specifically saying these things allowed us to say, all right, 
if you want to implement this, this is how we can do it. We need to have some sort of program that allows for the realisation of, of these recommendations of this position. You know, So this is where we could really use um, this as a bargaining chip to really convince hospitals to get on board. And, and the communication that I've had with all of these partners has just been phenomenal. So it really didn't take much convincing. I was about to say, I, I, maybe you do appreciate this, but, you know, as you're speaking there, I mean, the Clinical uh, Oncology Society of, of Australia is is a big organization. And to have, I mean, it's the equivalent of us getting the American Society of, of Clinical Oncology here, ASCO, to produce not just a position statement saying that exercise is good and you might want to consider it, but to advocate for the inclusion of exercise as an adjuvant therapy i mean i don't think i got goosebumps as you as you were sitting there talking about i mean that's that's what we've strived for for so long you know what i mean and i'm i'm just jumping on the coattails of everyone who has worked came before me but i i i mean i i just think you've done such incredible work to get to that point and and it's it's so impressive that yes at the end it, it might not have been that hard to, to get people on board but the work it took to get Coaster to come on board to develop a position statement like that that that's the that's the gold standard that we should be striving for across the world yeah and no i think it's you know it comes out of you know this is this is also something that's really exciting you know it's something that can make a you know that can change the way that we fight cancer if you think about it from a big perspective you know there's there's a great potential for exercise medicine to improve patient outcomes reduce health system expenditure um, and and this comes through the improved implementation of exercise in cancer care so it's really critical that we um, you know if we want to realize this potential that we have strategies in place to develop policy and to develop practice that allows us to move beyond general exercise guidelines and recommendations to exercise there needs to be an implementation plan of how this can happen and I, and I think that this sits, like you say, on it's it's sitting on the body of evidence that's come out of all of the excellent research that's happening internationally in this field. And, and it really puts us in a perfect position to be able to then try and uh, implement this and try and get patients realising these benefits that we're seeing in the literature. It's funny, as you're talking about being it, it being exciting it, that resonates me a lot because every time i go back to a conference to these interest groups or whatever it is there is this feeling amongst the field that there's no competition like we we are all striving for the exact same thing to get this established as cancer care and that that feeling of you've got people from all over the world coming back and meeting up in this room that we're all going for this it's such a feeling of like we're, we're so close let's keep pushing and it just helps when there's so much encouragement and support from other researchers instead of this kind of, you know, competitive edge. You know, it's all kind of healthy competition to, to improve the field. Oh, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that, you know, the, the only way that we're going to change practice, that we're going to influence patient outcomes through high-quality exercise medicine is if we work collaboratively together. And, and I'm all for that. So, you know, the whole intention of, pulling together an exercise group within the Clinical Oncology Society of Australia was so that we can have a united um, discussion and a united voice around what impact exercise can have. And and I get to, you know, I, as the chair of the group, I get to sit at the table alongside the surgeons and the medical oncologists 
and and everyone else around the room when when making decisions about the the direction of the organization but it's everybody that feeds into that that viewpoint that makes the difference and you know and here in australia we have um you know great engagement as well through the the exercise community so um, within our professional body exercise and sports science australia we have a a special interest group i established a special interest group in exercise and cancer and the group is just so engaged we've got over 600 members that are, are really talking about exercise and and the practicalities of how do we generate the best benefits for our patients as well as what we can do from more of an advocacy point of view and, and a research evidence point of view as well. So I, I couldn't agree more. It's it's the the work that we can do as a field together is what's going to allow us to enhance the lives of people with cancer through exercise medicine. So you've also established a special interest group is there anything you haven't done in this area? <laughs> Let's no, see catch up. Uh, I work with an awesome team and, and that's what allows me to, to do all these things. And I think for me, it's, you know, I really believe in the potential of, of exercise to make a meaningful improvement in the lives of people with cancer. And, and for me, that's very motivating. So, you know, an ex-med cancer is, is really the culmination of all of that. And, and I think, you know, it's, it, it motivates me every day to, to get up and, and to come into work and to try and do as much as I can to, to try and allow more patients to access services like ExMed Cancer. Yeah, so let's get back to that and chat a little bit more about it. So the website itself is really well laid out, really self-explanatory, but right now it's, it's primarily in Melbourne in yep. terms of locations, right? Um, so... Yeah, who is it for and, and how can they get in contact and what can they expect? Yeah, so I suppose, so what we're trying to do, with, and if we think, what is ExMed Cancer? It's a best practice exercise medicine program for people with cancer. The whole intention of it is to provide the cancer team with a safe, effective, feasible service that they can quickly and simply refer patients to, which allows for exercise to be embedded into routine care and it provides patients with simple access in a, in a pathway that's feasible for them to access effective and affordable exercise medicine that will you know, significantly improve their, their quality of life and their well-being. So it's, it's really about a model of care. And, and this is why we have so many stakeholders engaged with this. Um, so it's a model of care that allows for any uh, health professional any part of the multidisciplinary cancer team, any general practitioner or nurse practitioner, uh, a member from the, a community-based organisation that might be um, talking to patients through support lines and so on, they can refer patients into ExMed Cancer and, and into what we call the ExMed Cancer Hub. And patients can self-refer as well as, as their ca carers and family members. And this hub really coordinates the care. So the intention is that we'll have sites that run all throughout Australia and that any health professional just has to refer through one website using one phone number, one email address to, that goes to the hub and then we can refer out to a whole range of uh, exercise physiologists who have been specifically trained and upskilled to work in exercise and cancer and to deliver evidence-based exercise medicine to patients. So an individualized exercise prescription that's based on the framework of the international guidelines. So the hub is really <clears throat> the, the central point that allows us to coordinate the care, not only between for, for easy referrals, 
for patients and for for uh, healthcare professionals. But it also allows us to coordinate that care between the patient, their general practitioner, their cancer specialist. And we do this through a series of reporting. Um, and, and also we, we allow for education as well. So we have education suites that are directed to people with cancer, that are directed to general practitioners and practice nurses, nurse practitioners, and then also to the multidisciplinary cancer team. And this is trying to give them more of an insight about why exercise um, can be a part of their, their cancer plan. So the other the other element that it does, and I think it's really important for patients to know that that it's it's a also kind of like a helpline for the the exercise specialist. So a chance to talk to experts and workshop difficult cases, uh, ask about you know how, what kind of exercise prescription I should be using for this person. I've never worked with them before. So it's the hub is really the central component that allows us to to deliver this model of care in a way that we can um, really scale it up and, and deliver it throughout the country. And one, one other element we have, uh, I think it is really important for here in Australia, an exercise physiologist um, un, is a tertiary qualified allied health professional recognised to deliver chronic exercise to people with who have disease, who have chronic diseases. So ongoing exercise prescription for the management of disease and to enhance wellbeing. Um, usually these guys go through four or five years of university, but at this, at this stage they have spent very little time talking about cancer. So what we've embedded within XMed Cancer is a professional development program, and it's called XMed Cancer PD. And this is where we, using online modules, we, we talk about everything someone who's working with cancer patients needs to know about delivering exercise. So how, you know, how do you appropriately screen people with cancer? How do you prescribe exercise? What kind of monitoring do you need to do? Um, what kind of communication strategies do you need to use? Behavior change strategies? What are the referral pathways you need to have up your sleeve? And things like that. So we're really training the exercise physiologists who are delivering ex-med cancer to, to work with cancer patients based on everything that we know from the research literature. Just developing a network across the country and and what that's going to do for patients because i've especially now since the podcast has been out i'll have people contact me and say you know i'm in west virginia do you know anyone i'm kind of going you know i don't yeah and there there, there is a need for those networks where you can say well you're in perth or you're in sydney i'm in melbourne but i know here's four or five people within a 25 mile radius Com- completely but also the the fact that you know and and a lot of these books and materials we 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 have in universities based on the latest research and the, what you've developed for the XMED PD program, I'm sure is, is the latest and greatest and most up-to-date scientific evidence. Yeah. So to have everyone who comes out of XMED cancer program as, as personal trainers to be trained in the same manner, that they all have the similar level of, of education and expertise and content knowledge in this area is massive because then you've just, you've standardized the board across the board what to expect from a cancer exercise trainer in Australia. And I think that is massive. Yeah, it's it's such it's a question I get all the time. So I talk to a lot of people with cancer and I talk to a lot of um, specialists and healthcare professionals and the most common question I get is, okay, who can I refer to or how how do I how do I where do I send my patients or how do I access this kind of care? 
Um, and while in Australia we're very fortunate, we have a network of exercise physiologists, but we, we don't, you know, we, we need to have really this kind of upskilled, connect, con, connected group of preferred suppliers of exercise to uh, people with cancer. And knowing that not only that they've had the education, which which is so important, but then they've got the ability to always call someone who is an expert in the area, uh, you know, a team who's an expert in the area and, and being able to workshop through difficult cases. And then to have ongoing continual professional development. So we'll, we do webinars um, each year that will then update you know, what's the latest and greatest, what's the next best thing, you know, what things do you need to be thinking about? Uh, and we also then have, I suppose, a process around how do we then continually communicate with the exercise physiologists as well you know, in terms, as well as the, the, the other health professionals involved um, about, you know, reminding them about really top tips around all of the, the things that we need to be doing to make sure that it is best practice care. Yeah, that, the, the, ability for them to pick up a phone or send a quick email and say i'm i have trouble with this client is massive because you know particularly for me i've been in this field almost a decade but most of my training has been in breast and prostate mm. so if i get a pancreatic patient a pancreatic cancer patient comes to me it's a little bit out of my wheelhouse you know i have the yeah. general content knowledge but to be able to say here's you know this group of however many people trained in this area mm. we can I have this patient, here's what they're experiencing, here's their treatment, any suggestions? And it just gives you that, beyond anything else, just that kind of uh, approval sort of, you know, you're good, keep going with how you're going or here's yeah. some tips to add in a different exercise. It's massive. Absolutely. And and also for the, the healthcare providers as well. So for, you know, nurses who, who maybe want to refer their patient but are a bit concerned about some of the side effects they might be experiencing, you know, and and, and GPs who who don't know who to refer to and, and maybe need to talk to about talk to them about some other chronic diseases that these patients have uh, that could influence the prescription. And and that, you know, that that communication allow it's allowed to happen here through the Exmed Cancer Hub and and we really um, facilitate that through continual reporting across each of those kind of key um, steps along the way or key components that are involved in the care of people with cancer. So it, it really is trying to deliver best practice exercise medicine in a way that patients can quickly and simply and easily access it. So we deliver it. Um, at this stage, we've got five sites throughout Melbourne that we can actually subsidise patients to go through. So we provide it. It's a not-for-profit not health service and we provide that uh, that access to this care for free uh, for our first 200 patients, uh, and then we will be and, and we are at in this this already early stage expanding out the number of sites that we can deliver this through, and we're really working hard to make sure that we can get um, the engagement through state governments, through uh, the federal government, to try and then um, have some subsidies available so we can provide equitable access of care to to any person with cancer to be able to access high quality best practice exercise medicine uh, so patients in the melbourne area who are interested um, mm. what are they going to get or anyone i suppose going through this yeah. med cancer program what are they going to get in terms of assessments exercise what can they expect yeah absolutely so the they'll expect a lot of uh first of all good communication from um initial conversation around exactly what's involved with the program so they get a phone call first 
uh, and then send through a, a, a pack of information about what exactly what happens and, and how to access the care. So we actually start with, with sending patients to their general practitioner. And we, we do that to make sure that there's if there's any kind of chronic conditions or any concerns, health concerns that need to be considered before they, they go and talk to their exercise physiologist. Um, so they see their GP for an appointment first. And then they, they go on and see an exercise physiologist and have a consultation. So it's just a conversation then. It's, it's talking about their health history, their, what's going on with their cancer, uh, how are they feeling. And really, this is, is talking about uh, everything we need to know to individually prescribe the exercise program to them. Um, after that conversation, um, the next time they come in, they'll come in for a, a practical a face-to-face session, one-on-one with the exercise physiologist to go through the exercise uh, prescription. And, and we'll also do some basic assessments then as well. So we'll take some um, assessments looking at their physical function. So basic, uh, a six-minute walk test, a repeated chair rise test, just to see how their functional capacity is. We'll take some basic measurements such as their blood pressure and heart rates and so on to to ensure that we can deliver exercise in a safe way. And then we ask patients to, to complete a bunch of questionnaires. So just specifically to give, give us an indication of how we can really individualize that care, what symptoms we need to be looking out for, and, and then what we can, what potential way we can prescribe exercise to benefit those, those issues that people are having. So after that, that individual session, people get graduated into a group-based program where they go to their local community centre, so one of those five sites initially and, and many more sites thereafter, um, where they'll have uh, their individualised program delivered in a group-based environment, so with basically a, a group of 10 people who have cancer. And it'll be around an hour and a bit session to, to go through and do their, their aerobic and resistance exercise. Uh, that'll be supervised by one of the exercise physiologists and um That'll go on three times a week for three months. Then we have another consultation with the exercise physiologist, and, and that's really to, to check in to see how they're doing. We'll do some assessments there again and, and see what the, um, what the impact of that exercise has been for each person. And very importantly, we, we'll set up a, a structured plan and a, an actual plan uh, that what comes next after that. So really the, the goal is within this program is to educate people why they should exercise, to tell them how they can exercise, to provide benefits in the way that they realise and they feel the benefits of the exercise and the impact on their life, and then to set them up with a plan that allows them to to integrate exercise into their ongoing life uh, long term. And, and there's a number of different pathways that we provide there. So that's kind of it in a nutshell um, in terms of the pathway that patients follow through, through ex-med cancer. We provide a lot of other resources throughout in terms of communication with them, education, um, you know, a lot of referrals that when required to, to really make sure that care is best practice. For patients, I mean, three sessions a week for three months, I, I can't speak to the value of that in, in what you would pay otherwise if you were to go to your local gym and pay a personal trainer. So to have something like this for the first 200 who are subsidised, not to mention the quality of the care and the expert care and the assessments, the information you'll get, along with then setting you up, hopefully for success in the future, to where when you leave our program, we're going to educate you 
on how to continue your exercise and how to maintain this lifestyle to where it's not after three months you say good luck have a good life it's how can you graduate from this program and keep everything that we've taught you and keep up the progression of your exercise throughout your your life is is so powerful to hear about yeah and and we said that the way that we've designed exped cancer is to really facilitate that so the fact that the the each of the exercise sites are community-based fitness centers they're community gyms so people can access it once essentially we have partnerships with each of these organizations and once somebody finishes sex med cancer, they can continue to exercise in the same place, using the same machines, with the same people at the same time, um, at a heavily discounted rate that we've negotiated through this partnership. Um, and one of the key things is that we're delivering it in the community, so it's a very small distance from people's home. So we're trying to minimise all the barriers and really um, facilitate as, as many things as possible that allows people to continue exercising long term. So who who is it for? Obviously, anyone with diagnosed yeah. with cancer. It, let's talk a little bit about what makes you eligible and how how they can reach out to you. Yeah, sure. So. Exmo cancer is designed for any person with cancer. It doesn't matter what type of cancer that they've been diagnosed with, they can come and get involved with Exmed cancer. Now, the program itself more broadly is um, anybody at any stage of their treatment can be eligible no matter if they've just been diagnosed or they diagnosed, you know, five years ago, ten years ago, and, and they're still kind of trying to recover from the side effects. Um, this is... In that way, we're, we're trying to deliver it and, and provide access to everyone with cancer. Um, we, within our, the confines of the, the funding that we have, we've got subsidised positions for people who have, who have recently completed their cancer treatment. Uh, and this is only because we've, we've only got a certain amount of funding and we want to try and um, deliver ExMed cancer to the people who could potentially benefit the most and need it the most. So it's specifically this, this, this 200 subsidised positions are people diagnosed with any type of cancer who have completed their, their surgery or radiation or chemotherapy and are within one year of their last, um, their last treatment. The website's uh, xmedcancer.org.au, so exmedcancer.org.au, and all the information's there. They can click on a button and put their name and, and contact number, and we'll give them a call straight away and get them involved in the program. Um, uh, they can give us a call. They can send us an email, um, no problem whatsoever. Um, it's all secured, and, and there's there's no concerns in terms of privacy with entering these details as well. So, uh, at this stage, it's um, you know anybody with cancer can can contact us, and we can put them on the wait list, and we can communicate when as soon as we get new sites opened and and we're able to um, have uh, some subsidies for people and and certainly we'll be able to deliver it in a model that allows for them to pay for these services as well um, that that they can contact us straight away as well people looking for you or looking to find out about the program about you how can they get in touch with you yeah xmed cancer is the best way so if you go to that website it's yeah www.exmedcancer.org.au you can reach out and touch base with us. Um, I work at Australian Catholic University in Melbourne in Australia, so you can always touch base with me there as well. And and I'm a recent Twitter convert, so uh, you can always <laughs> reach out to me over Twitter as well. I'm, I'm not as well-versed. I don't have the right vernacular. I'm not great at it, but uh, I'm giving it a crack. So please feel free to reach like out on um, Twitter. It's definitely like 
you you kind of won't be on it for a few weeks and then you'll kind of get guilty and then you'll post 17 things in one hour and then you'll <laughs> but if you could space them out we'll, we'll get you there yeah exactly um, yeah no listen it's been it's been brilliant to chat to you i wish you all the best with this and uh, i will be looking for a job in about three years so expect an email <laughs> down the line that'd um, be awesome yeah so thanks a lot for stopping by and chatting to us I, I wish you all the best and hopefully we'll speak to you soon thanks so much 